Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New T Old Testament book of Genesis. The Old Testament book of Genesis in Genesis chapter number 38. Genesis in chapter number 38. We're continuing with our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we're walking through each of these links in the lineage of Jesus Christ link by link. Doing a character study on each one of these people that we see within this lineage of Jesus Christ. We've been hitting a section between the patriarchs. The patriarchs begin with Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to Judah through the wife Leah. We covered this morning about Leah and we explained what happened between this marriage and that God had chosen to use her and not Rachel. We had hit the Wednesday night previous doing a character study on Judah and seeing this family and seeing a family that was in trouble. And now as we hit the book of Genesis chapter 38, we now come to another link in the chain that the son of Leah and the son of Jacob, they have a son by the name of Judah as well as others. But it is through Judah that this lineage is going to carry. And once again, we're going to find a family that is not right with God. In fact, if you go through this passage, this is not the family you want to model your marriage after. It is a family in shambles, a family that's in distress, a family that's very much in trouble. And so if you don't mind, let's examine this here in the book of Genesis chapter number 38. The book of Genesis chapter 38, and let's look together starting at verse 1. And it came to pass at that time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned in to a certain Adulamite, whose name was Hera. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he took her and went in, in unto her. And she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Ur. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she called his name Onan. And she yet again conceived and bare a son, and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chizbib, or Chib, <laughs> Chizib, when she bare him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, er, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. And Judah said unto Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass that when he went into his brother's wife, that he spilt it on the ground, lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he, which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, tell Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest peradventure he die also as his brethren did. 
And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted, and went into his sheep shearers to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And she put on her widow's garment from off off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. And he turned unto her by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come into thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will thou give me that thou mayest come into me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Will thou give me a pledge till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thy hand. And he gave it her and came in unto her and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away and laid her veil from her and put on the garments of her widow. And Judah sent the kid by the hand of his friend Adulamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he found her not. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot that was openly by this wayside? And they said, There's no harlot in this place. And he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, Let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not found her. And it came to pass, about three months after, that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth, and let her be burnt. And when she was brought forth, he sent. she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man, by whose these are, I am with child. And she said, Discern, I pray thee, whose are these, the signet, and the bracelets, and the staff? And Judah acknowledged them, and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I gave her not to Shelah, my son, and he knew her uh, again no more. And it came to pass in the time of her travail that, behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass that when she travailed, that one put out his hand, and the midwife took and bound his hand into a scarlet thread, saying, This came out first. And it came to pass that he drew back his hand, and behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And as we study this, we do a quick little uh, study on Judah and one area of his life. And if you don't mind, as we have a very troublesome passage here, maybe we could entitle this Judah, Trouble at Home. Judah, Trouble at Home. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy, Lord, and that you would just please help us, Lord, to be able to go through this passage, to be able to discern and to be able to have discernment 
And Lord, that we could see you glorified through all of it. I thank you again for the privilege of being here, opening up your word. Just fill me with your spirit. And you do your own work tonight, and we can trust you to do that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've been studying the different families, we've been coming to one family after another after another that's in distress. And just after you finish one family, you say, can it get worse? And the answer is yes. And we see it worse. And we say, can it get any worse? And indeed it does. It gets worse. If you might remember that we went through Isaac and we saw Isaac that one time he was a picture of Jesus Christ. But he became unspiritual and carnal in his old age and he tried to hijack the will of God on his own. And because of that it caused his whole family to be at odds. Well, one of the people that was his odds was his son, Jacob. And Jacob was a liar, a manipulator. And he learned that he should manipulate his way through life. And it did not come back uh, very well. The Bible says, be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so we went from Isaac's fractured home to the war that was Jacob's home between Rachel and Leah, two sisters that he had gotten married to, as well as their two handmaidens, and the war of children, and the fight that happened with there. Well, remember that one of the sons produced by Leah was Judah. And it was through this line that the lineage of Christ comes, but coming from a home as broken and at war like Jacob's home, no wonder we could see Judah also mimicked his father and his grandfather and had war in his house. If you don't mind it, let's examine this passage. And the first thing we want to show you is Judah and his sons. Judah and his sons. Notice in verse number one, and it came to pass at that time, Judah went down from his brethren. Let's pause here. Now it says it's giving us a time frame and it came to pass at that time. Well, what had just happened? Well, remember that they had Judah, or sorry, Jacob had 12 sons. And that his last two sons were uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And according to the way that Jacob had treated his family, that the second to youngest, which would be Joseph, was really in his mind the firstborn. It was the child that was born because of my favorite wife. This is him. This is my son. This is what I want to give everything to. This is my boy, my favorite. And it did not go well with the other 10 brothers, the older brothers, not well at all. So much that later on, as Rachel died, Lee is now raising the whole uh, quiver full of children, that Joseph began to have dreams. And as he had dreams, he had dreams that everybody in the family would bow down and show him honor. And of course, the brothers really did not like that. It's one thing to have uh, dad show you the favorite. It's another thing for this little peep squeak little guy to start having visions and saying, we're all going to bow down and honor him. And that's not going to happen. And so they arranged to have Joseph killed. They said, behold, here's the dreamer. And so they had a big plan worked out where they were going to kill him. But instead of killing him, another opportunity came. Some Ishmaelites uh, merchants came and they sold their brother into slavery. 
Well, now they have to explain to dad, where's Joseph at? Where's your boy? Where's your favorite? And so they took the special coat that, um, <laughs> that Jacob had given to his favorite son, Joseph. They took that coat, they dipped it in blood and said, dad... We found this out in the field. Do you recognize it? And dad in horror said, no, that's my son. Oh, it looks like he was eaten by animals. And Jacob went into a bad depression. He started to get to the place where he was unconsolable. He refused to be comforted. In fact, notice with me Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 35. Chapter 37 and verse 35. And all his sons... And his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down to my grave unto my son mourning. And thus his father wept for him. Now, let me point out that he lost his favorite son, but he has 11 kids or 11 sons remaining. Can you imagine how horrible that experience would be? Not only you've been treated second class all of your life, but now dad says, I refuse to stop mourning. I'm going to mourn for my son all the rest of my life to the neglect of the 11 that are still alive. So Judah said, you know what? I'm done with this. And in chapter 38, verse 1, And it came to pass after that time, after his father made the announcement that I'm not going to stop mourning, my favorite son is gone, Judah went down from his brother and he said, Forget this, and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, we're now introduced to another guy named Hira. Hira is going to pop up several times within this passage, and he's Judah's friend, and every time that Judah gets in trouble, Hira is right there with him in the midst of this his associate his acquaintance or his acquaintance his associate and finally his accomplice so as he's staying with a friend he meets some uh, Canaanite lady some unsaved Gentile woman notice with me in verse 2 and Judah saw there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua and he took her and went in unto her and she conceived and bare a son and he called his name Ur and she conceived again and bare a son. Notice this phrase, and she called his name Onan. Now, why is this so significant? Because in the ancient world, especially in the Bible days, the naming of a child was a very important job. And it was an important job that the head of the family was supposed to be the one to name it because each of those names was supposed to be, when you named a child, was a spiritual exercise. And so it was supposed to be that a father would spend time with the Lord to find out the name of the child, to ask what the name of the child would be, and there should be some spiritual discernment. But instead, we could see Judah now catering to his wife. And throughout this small time of marriage, we could see that she's a domineering, controlling woman, which is not going to help things out at all. And we could see that she is very much getting the idea of control. And this is going to spread into their sons. So they had the son of Ur. They had the saint of Onan. And she conceived again and bare a son and called his name. Once again, she's naming it. His name, Shelah. And he was at uh, Chizbib when she bare him. 
And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. So Ur's finally old enough to get married. Judah helps arrange the marriage, picks a girl by the name of Tamar. Now there was something special about this girl that she had some type of spark of spirituality that she didn't get discipled, she didn't get trained, but she has something about her. And so Judah connected them together. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. So here's a young man who's get got married before life starts going on. He's already wrecked his life. He's refusing to obey God. God wants to use him, but he's at the place where, God, I want you to stay out of my business. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Just leave me alone. We'll part ways. And God doesn't like that. And so what use was it that if he's refusing to obey God, what use is he going to be? And God got to the place where he took him out. Remember, God hates sin. He hates sin. So verse 8, And Judah said to Onan, Go into thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now there was a custom, it wasn't quite law yet, but soon it will be law, that if a if a husband and wife are married and they don't have children and the husband dies, that what would happen is that the brother would take her to be the wife and the first child would be considered the offspring of the dead brother. So that way the family lineage would not end, but it would continue on. It was uh, something that was a custom. And by the way, uh, the brother knew that. But he said once again... I refuse to obey God. Again, we have a troublesome passage. Not so much that it's hard to discern just because of the content matter. But basically, we'll just summarize it like this. He knows what's expected. He knows what's God's will. And he says, absolutely not. I refuse to obey. And he refused to follow God. And so God kills this brother as well. Now again, here is a household that's supposed to be the lineage of Christ. That the lineage of Christ comes. But now you have two brothers. Both of them individually have now told God. I don't want you to rule over my life. I don't want to do what you told me. I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to mess up your plans. And so God killed both of them. What a household. Well here's this third child. But he's not old enough yet. And so Judah tells Tamar that he has to deal with this. We see Judah and his sons. The next thing we see is Judah and his sins. Judah and his sins. So Judah comes to Tamar and says, all right, you were married to Ur. Ur died. Probably doesn't want to admit that Ur's the problem. Then Onan dies. And he doesn't want to admit that Onan was a problem. So guess who he blames? He blames Tamar. Notice this in verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house, till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. You know, it doesn't say it outright, but the undercurrent is, is listen, you go stay at your father's house, and when my son grows up, I'll, I'll get arranged marriage, but I want you to stay away from him unless God kills him too because of you. Imagine this. Again, it's common that a parent refuses to admit that their kids have a problem. 
There's a blind eye. They don't want to admit that they're not right with God. They don't want to admit. And, and so now, instead of acknowledging that there was a spiritual issue, that it wasn't the idea that they didn't know God. It's that they did know God and they purposely said, we don't want to obey you. We don't want to listen to you. And by the way, that is dangerous, dangerous ground. And so here is some boys here who grew up hearing a little bit that God had a plan for their life. And they said, we don't want to have it. And again, the parent doesn't want to admit that their children had a spiritual problem. Let's just ignore the problem and let's blame someone else. So he blames Tamar and says, go back to your dad's house. And when it's time, we'll let you get this fixed. We got to let my son grow up. Well... How did it work out? Verse 12. And in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, uh, Judah's wife, died. Probably the best thing that's happened. Here, this wife died, this dominating, controlling lady. She's gone. And Judah was comforted and went up to the sheep shinner. All right. So here his wife dies. And many people do different things for comfort. So some people go to their Bible. Some people go to church. Some people sing songs. How did Judah comfort himself? Well, let's go to work and let's get some things done. And Judah was comforted and went up to a sheep shinner to Timnath and his friend Hira the Doomlight. Here's his friend again. So they're going up to go participate and uh, go take care of some business. And it was told Tamar saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnau to shear his sheep. And she put her widow's garment off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him. So here's Tamar who's been watching the process. Here is the son, the third son. He grows up and he gets married to someone else. She's left behind. And so Judah comes. She hears that her father-in-law's coming. Now, no one knows you like family. And she knows her father-in-law enough. And knows that the, his wife has died and that he's looking for comfort. And she knows what to do to entice him. Now, once again, this is a family that's messed up. We're not endorsing any of this. We're not putting a stamp of approval. We're just admitting what happens. So what happens? Tamar takes off the widow's garment. And she puts on a harlot's garment. May I pause here so I could kick this dog? How you dress does tell your intentions. There is a garment that shows a widow mourning. There are garments that make you dress that look like you're advertising for sex. There are garments. I understand that people don't like to speak about clothes, but there is a way to dress. Do you know that even Jesus' clothes, what he wore, was predicted a thousand years before he died about the clothes he wore? By the way, Jesus wore a certain type of garment that when people looked at him, they recognized him immediately as someone with authority and a teacher by the way he dressed. And the Bible speaks quite a bit about the harlot's clothes. There is a way for you to dress that immediately identifies you as someone who's advertising for sex. The lady who invented the miniskirt, she invented it for the expressed purpose to let every guy know that she's available for sex anytime, anywhere. 
That's why she invented it. Again, there is a way to dress that shows a seriousness. There's a way to dress to show mourning. There is a way to dress to bring respect. And there's a way to dress to advertise that you are looking for sexual things. So here's Tamar. She takes off her widow's garments and she puts on the attire of a harlot, but puts on a veil so Judah can't recognize her. And because she knows him, now again, there's a lot of undercurrents here. She knows him. She knows what he likes. She knows what he's engaged in. She knows what he's interested in. And she purposely puts her out knowing that he will be interested. Again, there's a lot of undercurrents and a lot of things not said, but implied in this story. This is a tome that is seriously in trouble. And so, verse number 15. And when Judas saw her, he thought her to be a harlot. Why? Because of the way she dressed. Because she had covered her face. And he turned to her, by the way. Now remember, his wife just died. He goes up. He's look, going to work looking for comfort. And the daughter-in-law knows him, purposely put herself in the side of the road to get his attention. No one else's attention. His attention knowing that he would be interested. And so he does, verse 16, and he turned to her by the way and said, Go, I pray thee, let me come into thee, for he knew not that he was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What wilt thou give me that thou mayest come in? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, What wilt thou give me a pledge till thou send it? So what they're doing is negotiating a price. And so for the security of this, he says, I'm going to send you a kid. He says, give me the proof. Give me a deposit so I know that you're going to carry your word. And verse 18, and he said, what pledge should I give thee? And she said, thy signet and thy bracelets and thy staff that is in thy hand. Now, this is important. The signet represented his person. A signet would often be a ring or a subtype of stamp that when you would have an official correspondence, when you would want to sign something, you would dip some wax or have some wax poured and you would put the signet. It was just like fixing your signature. It was something that you would put your stamp of approval on. It was an important piece of identification. Not only the signet, but the bracelets. The bracelets represented his possessions, that he was rich, that he was wealthy, and it represented that he was wealthy, and his staff, which represented his position. He had a certain amount of rank and position. And so for a deposit, he gave her these items. They went ahead and took care of business. He went away with the idea that he was going to pay her and have his stuff retrieved. Fun story. Horrible, horrible consequences in a family. So what happens? It says, uh, verse number uh, 19. And he, she arose and went away and laid by her veil from her and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judas sent a kid by the hand of his friend Adulam, the Adulamite. Of course he's going to go send his friend. He could trust his friend because this is some shady business here. So I'm going to go send my friend who's going to keep quiet about it. And so to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. But he, the friend, found her not. Then he asked the men of the place, 
where's the harlot that was openly by the wayside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So his friend comes back with the kid. You can see having the goat behind and say, hey, or the sheep. Hey, uh, does anybody see where the harlot was at? What harlot? We don't have a harlot around here. Okay, nobody's seen her? All right. Well, now he's lost. He can't find it. The people said, said um, there's no one there. He goes back to Judah to report. Verse number 23. And Judah said, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid and thou hast not found her. So he says, all right, fine. We're not going to go ask about it anymore. Because otherwise people would say, hey, why are you looking for this harlot? He says, we don't want to bring attention to ourselves. If she's not there, we try to keep our word. So it goes. What an awful, awful story. But it's not done yet. Verse 24. And it came to pass about three months after that it was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot. And also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, Bring her forth and let her be burnt. Now remember, this goofball is the father but yet he's so upset. Oh, she messed up. We're going to make a public display. Well, what about him? So verse 25, and she was brought forth and sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man whose these are, am I with child? So as they start hauling her and bringing her to uh, judgment, she goes, wait a second. Don't you want to know who the dad is? Now, that stops everybody in their tracks because normally that's not the normal response. Usually it's all hush-hush. Nope, you want to know who the father is? Okay, so they bring her to Judah and she goes, tell me, whose are these? And she holds up the signet. She holds up the bracelets. She holds up the staff. Whose are these? Verse 25, and she was brought forth and she sent to her father-in-law saying by the man whose these are am I with child and she said discern I pray thee whose these the signet the bracelets and staff and Judah acknowledged them and said she has been more righteous than I because I gave her not to Sheila my son and he knew her again no more now again awful story Horrible story. All of this goes up, but it's not done yet. When it says that he knew her no more, pretty much at this time, she now becomes a single mother that he kind of has to take care of things, but he has nothing to do with her in the life. Now she has to raise this child on her own without the support of a husband, a single mother, which now brings us to Judah and his seed. Notice with me in verse 27. And it came to pass that in the time of her travail that behold, twins were in her womb. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand. Now let's pause here. I don't know how familiar you are with the miracle of childbirth, but usually this is not how it works out. So in the midst of the having the childbirth, a hand pops out. Not the head. Usually it's the head that comes out first, but a hand comes out. So the midwife says, all right, fine, it's unusual, but let's mark him. We'll mark it so we know which twin it is. She puts a scarlet thread and says, all right, let's get ready to pull the rest of them out. And the hand comes back in. And then the brother pushes his way and the brother comes out first. What a strange thing. And it came to pass when she travailed that one put out his hand and the midwife took and bound up his head on a scarlet thread saying, this came out 
first. And it came to pass, he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out, and she said, How hast thou broken forth? This breach be upon thee. Therefore his name was called Pharez. And afterward came out his brother that had the scarlet thread upon his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Now, we're talking about the lineage of Christ, and we're putting this. And we've already seen that it's one messed up family to a more messed up family to a severely messed up family. And in this, the lineage of Christ continues. What do we learn from this? That God had a plan for this child. That Perez, in the midst of all the circumstances, God was going to use him to carry on the lineage of Christ. You know what encouragement this is? That God has a plan for every child even before they're born. God has a plan for their life. And let me tell you that no matter what your background is, God still has a plan. It could have been very easy that my mom was a single mom, therefore I'm doomed to failure. That's not true. Let me tell you, my grandfather had four wives and it was war at home. And because of that, that's why I mess up in life. Not an excuse. Let me tell you, my grandfather, he was a carnal Christian. He didn't live for the Lord, not anymore. He just wanted his carnality and he messed up his home. Still no excuse. You understand it doesn't matter what your background. That God can even use a child from a single mother. Aren't you thankful for that? God can use a child from a broken home. God has a plan. God has a desire for every life that comes out. In fact, sh let me show you in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 1, God is specifically talking about the prophet Jeremiah. However, the same principle applies, especially as we're talking about Perez, who is now going to carry this lineage of Christ through this line, who's grown up in a messed up home, in a home where he, him and his brother, twin brother, are raised by a single mom who tries to do the best she can with what resources she has. And God uses it. Notice with me in Jeremiah chapter number one, and notice with me in verse number five. Before I formed thee, this is God speaking, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. You know the wonderful thing about God is that he sees the end from the beginning. And before a child is even conceived, God knows them. Oh, isn't that a wonderful comforting thought? By the way, God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. Not just how many, but if you were to pluck one, God said, I know that's number 4,659. God knows everything about you. He knows where you came from. He knows what your lineage is. He knows what your parentage. He knows, and he still says, I've got a plan. I know you. Notice with me. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee or chose thee a prophet unto the nations. He says, before you were even born, I already had a plan for your life. I want to tell you that God is the one who allows children to be born, to be conceived, be formed. And he has a plan for each and every one of their lives. 
God has a desire to do something. There's not a single child and a single person that God doesn't want to use. That's a comforting. You say, but you don't understand the household I grew up in. It doesn't matter. I doubt if it's any worse than this. But even if it was, God still wants to use you. You said, but you don't understand. I come from a a lineage where my dad was in jail and my grandfather was a thief. It doesn't mean that you have to be a thief. There's always hope from the home. That you start from where you are and you move forward. That God can do something in your life. That God wants to do something in your life. There is a plan. And God is that good. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give comfort. Because I understand that as we speak to a crowd of people, we can look and say the homes that we were raised in were not the ideal homes to produce a mega Christian. We may even look at the life that we live and the mistakes and the things we went through and say, you know what? I still shouldn't be in a place where God can use me. But God still wants to use you. He is that good of a God. What a wonderful God that we have. What I want to do is I want to give you encouragement, dear friend, that it doesn't matter what past you have, the future that you have is bright. If you just allow God to use you, he's got a plan. And that there's always, always hope for the home. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.